verse 9, Paul says that I would be found in him. He wants to be found in him by others. He wants to be found in Christ versus out of Christ. And the Amplified Bible really explains what that means. Not having any self-achieved righteousness, but can be called my own based on my obedience to the law's demands, ritualistic uprightness, and supposed right standing with God thus acquired. So Paul says to be found in Christ means that you are not depending on your own righteousness, your own good deeds, your own works to be right before God. And here is the great lie of the enemy that I believe so many people believe, and that is that if I just do enough, if I just perform enough, if, if I do enough good deeds, and hopefully in the end of my life, my good deeds will outweigh my, my, my bad deeds, and, and therefore I'll get in. I mean, after all, I'm not really a, a bad person, and uh, you know, if there is a God in heaven, and of course He's a God of love, then surely He will accept me on the merit of my goodness. To which I always ask the question, well, how good do you have to be to get to heaven? No one seems to know the answer to that because the reality is if I have to be like Billy Graham good, I can never be that good. But if I have to be like Saddam Hussein good, well, I'm much better than that. And so we rank ourselves based on other people, and that's not God's scale. Uh, the fact of the matter is that organized religion is always about trying to appease God. It's no different than what the Greeks and the Romans worship with all of their pantheon of gods. Is You have to appease these gods. You have to offer sacrifices. You have to do things and then maybe you'll have rain and then maybe good things will happen in your life. And sometimes even in Christ, we start to believe that if I don't do everything that Christ wants me to do, he will not be pleased with me and I'll be rejected. Yes, I have a relationship with him. Yes, I desire to please him. But there's a huge difference between doing things to gain God's love and favor or doing things because of his love and favor. And that's what Paul is saying. He goes, I want to be found in Christ. I don't want all of that self-righteousness that I had, all that zeal for the wrong things, and following the law to the nth degree. I don't want all of that to be what I consider or what others think is what gets me to heaven. I want the righteousness that's based on Christ and, his, and my right standing with him. I want to be found in him. And then he says that I may know him. I just think that's awesome. Paul the Apostle, arguably, if not the greatest man in the New Testament, mightily used of God, if anyone had reached a point of knowing Christ, you would think Paul the Apostle would have reached that point. And he says, I want to know him. I mean, wouldn't you say, Paul, you already know him. You know him better than anybody. And he goes, no. I want to know him. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Amplified Bible. Philippians 3.10. Can we read it together? That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and 
and more clearly. Paul says, I want to know him. That's what that means. Does that sound to you like religion or relationship? I mean, think about that. What if, what if, if you're married, what if you went to your spouse and you said, honey, I want to progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you. I want to perceive and recognize and understand the wonder of who you are more strongly and more clearly. I think your spouse would say, who said that? For those of you who didn't hear, this fine lady over here said, your spouse would say, who are you? I think your spouse would say, hey. I know all the men are like, Philippians 3.10. Okay, progressively, progressively. Wow. That's Paul the Apostle. You know what that tells me? Paul was never satisfied with where he was with Jesus. Paul, lighten up. Not satisfied. Someone said, as long as we're green, we're growing. I don't know about you, but if I don't have a plan for growth, it doesn't happen by osmosis. And specifically, if my plan for growth doesn't make it into my smartphone, <laughs> that is my planner, if I don't schedule, I know that sounds kind of ritualistic, but I need that. Because the days become weeks, weeks become months, and I find that I haven't become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. It, time just sort of slips away, doesn't it? I mean, and I say this all the time because I'm like getting old. I don't think I'm old yet, but I'm getting old. I'm getting old. I'm not old yet, but I'm getting old. And it's all a matter of perspective anyway, right? I mean, age is only two numbers, and if you're lucky, three. But time just seems to be going so much faster now. I mean, when I was 22, I had all the time in the world. You could have said, boy, you running out of time. I ain't running out. I got my whole life. I'm running out of time. No, you're running out of time because you think you're invincible, because you think tomorrow's promised to you. And as you get a little bit older, you recognize that time is important, especially if you want a paycheck. <laughs> you, you recognize that. And, and as you get a little bit more older, I'm not old yet, but I'm getting older. I, I, time just flies by. And when you have children, and you really get it, right? And when your son walks by you and says, yo, what's up, dad? And he's like almost looking you in the eye. You'd be like, oh, wait, wait a minute now. Wait, whoa, time out, boy. Wait a minute. Don't start nothing. It won't be nothing. You know, I still outweigh you. I have that one advantage over you. And then they're quickly losing that too, right? And you think, where does the time go? Where's it gone? Time is like that, right? I need to have a plan of how I'm going to grow in Christ. 
and it better make it into my planner. Oh, this is probably not going to happen. What will you do to become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him? Will you make it a goal to read through the Bible in a year? Will that make it into your planner? Will you make it a goal to read a book or two or three? Let me suggest you read the Bible first. Will you attend a light group? That's, that's, I mean, an a, a, a intimate group. of that's, that's what it's all about. When you walk out that door to your right, there's all kinds of light groups, men's groups, women's groups. No one's going to read your mail, but it's about fellowship and intimacy and growing together. Okay? Are, are you going to go on a short-term missions trip? Are you going to engage in spiritual disciplines? Uh, maybe for you it's fasting on one day a week to just draw close to him. Uh, meditating on his word. Uh, now, what it is for me is different than what it is. I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you how to grow in the Lord. But you need to find that out. And you need to desire that. And maybe it's a point of saying, God, help me to desire that. And he will. Okay? Paul learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance, he said. Whether well-fed or hungry. Whether living in plenty or living in want, he said. And he said, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. But he called contentment a secret. A secret. But the man who learned contentment was not content with where he was with Jesus. Ooh, let that resonate. That I may know him. Paul the Apostle. That I may be found in him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. The overcoming power Weist, a Greek scholar, says regarding that, he wants to know in an experiential way the power of Christ's resurrection. That is, he wants to experience the same power that raised Christ from the dead, surging through his own being, overcoming sin in his life, and producing the Christian graces. That said, he doesn't want to just celebrate Easter. He wants the power of Easter flowing through him. See the difference? There's a difference to say, Lord, I'm not, I, I'm not satisfied just knowing that you rose from the dead. Appreciate it. But I want the power that rose you from the dead flowing through me. Woo! And causing me to overcome sin. Oh, don't think just the big sin were causing me to release the nasty habits I have. Were causing me to live out this Christian life, which I can only do through you anyway. All the self-confidence in the world isn't enough to live the Christian life. I must be dependent upon him. Wow. Know him. Found in him. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. By the way, please remember those in chains for the gospel's sake. Do not forget those people around the world who are dying for their faith. Don't forget them. Remember them. A week from Wednesday, we're going to show a film. You can watch it, aclj.org, on the persecuted church. A week from Wednesday. But you can preempt by watching that online at aclj.org. Not ACLU, aclj.org. Okay? If you want to see that. He wanted to participate, the joint participation in the fellowship of his suffering. And so when those things are happening, he says, I will obtain the resurrection from the dead. In the future, but now, 
Philippians 3.11 in the Amplified Bible says, that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. As Christ was dead to his own will and his own desires, you know this, right? You know that Christ was dead to his own will and his own, you know this. You know that Jesus did not come on his own accord to do his own will. You know that, right? Jesus, the second part of the Trinity, came to do that which God called him and told him to do. He did not come to establish his own and to live his own life, but to live the life that God wanted him to live. So, Paul expressed a desire for that. And so we have an exhortation in, in chapter 12 through 16. Let me read it again. Not that I've already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So, so he's being specific now, and this is something else that he's pressing into. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, man, this guy is just throwing haymakers spiritually, right? It's like every one of these sentences you could put on a plaque and, and on your wall. These are powerful truths. Don't miss these. This resurrected living, Paul the Apostle says, I'm not there yet. I haven't become perfect. What? Paul the Apostle admitting he's not all that yet? He doesn't have it all together. He's not perfect. Maybe even Paul blew it sometimes. Can you imagine? Paul says he's not yet reached a place of completion where there's no longer any room for growth? Does that give you hope? Does that make you feel good? Next time you blow it and you will? Okay. We know where to go for grace and mercy in the time of need. So Paul says, I press on. I pursue. Think of the runner blazing down the track. He's in the race. He's running. He's striving towards the goal. And he doesn't just grab a hold of it. The Greek language says he grabs hold of it and he pulls it down. What is it that Paul is striving towards and straining towards and fixing his eyes on? Well, it tells us that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. This is what he says. Paul says, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. All right, time out, time out, sorry. Sorry, another mountaintop, another peak of faith. Before I was born, before you had a chance to deny him, to use his name profanely, before you had a chance to really mess up in some areas of your life, which we all have, before you had an opportunity to blow it, before you had a chance to just blow him off and act like God didn't even exist, or better yet, to believe that something else created you, but you don't know what, but some primordial. Before all of that, it says, God chose you. How does that make you feel? Before you were born, that tells me in eternity past, you were chosen. In eternity past, not once you got it all together, Godhead has a council and says, well, you know, uh, Brother Jojo, 
He's finally starting to get it together. We ought to choose him. Now, I'm not sure. Let's give another week or two. I don't know. You watch. Watch what happens tonight. Yeah, well, we already know. Yeah, right. You're right. Let's not. Before you were born. How does that make you feel? Chosen. It's one thing to be chosen because of how good you are or how righteous you are or how together you are. It's a whole nother thing to be chosen in all of your ugliness of sin, which all of us have. Our failures, our frailties, our lack of faith. Chosen. God says, I know. I chose them in eternity past, warts and all. By his marvelous grace, then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. And he tells why. Get this. Don't, don't mess up the beginning, but don't lose the end. So I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Imagine that. Paul the apostle. The, 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 the height of the law. This preacher of righteousness by the law. Who now goes and teaches the Gentiles. And Paul said, that's why I've been chosen. I've got a calling on my life. That's what he wants to take hold of. Christ Jesus called him, chose him, took hold of him so that he could go and take what he has and give it to others. Who are you giving yours away to? Is it a specific group of people? Is it a neighborhood? Is it your family? Oh, you've been called too. You've been chosen before you were born from eternity past. But God always has purpose, so you've been chosen for purpose. What is that purpose? Paul says, I'm striving and straining towards it. Are you striving and straining towards what you've been called for and called to? Don't miss it. Verse 13, he repeats himself. And the old preacher said, let repetition be reinforcement. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. <coughs> one thing I do, he says. You know, that phraseology shows up in the Bible a couple of times. King David, Psalm 27, you know the song, says this. One thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing, David said, just one thing, one thing. That's all I want, God. One thing. That I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. That's David said, that's all I want to do. And the I do is in italic, so he really says one thing. What a, what a great summary of a Christian life. Dwelling in the house of the Lord. To me, that means to have a heavenly mindset. God, I want a heavenly mind. How many of you would agree that on this earth, we need a heavenly mindset. When you read the newspaper, you need a heavenly mindset. When you look at things going on in your own life, boy, we need a heavenly mindset. That's one thing. There's another one thing, and it's a heart of worship. Luke chapter 10, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is not happy with that because someone's got to get this house together and we have a guest here and there's Eastern hospitality and you're embarrassing my whole family because you have the dishes in the sink and Jesus is here. And you're not helping me. You're sitting at his feet. Ah, I know, that's resonating in the crowd, right? I know, I know. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things. 
but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from. That's a heart of worship. A heavenly mindset, a heart of worship, and a desire for discipleship. Understand the context. Typically in the day of Jesus, a student would choose their rabbi. And they'd say, Rabbi Shemiel, I've chosen you to disciple me. And the rabbi would go, good, good, come on. Follow me. Live with me. Walk with me. Walk behind me, not with me. <laughs> and I will accept you into my discipleship. Jesus, on the other hand, comes and he chose his disciples. Right? Peter, James, casting nets. Lay down your nets. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. A flip. So here's an instance where a young man is called into discipleship, but because he doesn't have a desire for discipleship, he says no to the master. Luke 18, 22, Jesus says, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess, distribute it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. It says, but when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. His one desire was not to follow the master. And so he turned away from a call to discipleship. We don't know his name. We don't know if he ever repented. But he was called to walk with Jesus. And he said, I can't do it. Because his God was wealth. Ah! One thing, heavenly mindset, a heart of worship, a desire for discipleship. For us to lay hold of that which Christ has laid hold uh, uh, for us, we must have a one-thing focus. So what's the one thing Paul does? Once again, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting all the accolades, forgetting all my past failures, my past sin. Forgetting all my natural privilege, forgetting all my successes. Wiest puts it this way, again, using an illustration here of a Greek runner completely forgetting his opponents. Who he's, one, one was focusing ahead on the goal. Now it's forgetting about those opponents uh, whom he is leading in the race. Just as a runner's speed is slackened, should he think of those behind him and the thud, thud, thud of their pounding feet, so the Christian's onward progress is hindered should he dwell on the past full of failures, sins, heartaches, discouragements, disappointments. We've been forgiven by God. Don't let your past determine who you are today, or don't let that keep you back from moving forward. Corey Temboom, the old preacher who survived a concentration camp, uh, used to say that God places our sins in the sea of forgetfulness and posts a no fishing sign there. Are you fishing in the sea of forgetfulness trying to bring up those things that you've already been forgiven for? And I say it to you this morning, move on from those things. Don't let those things hold you back because we cannot move on with God if we keep going back to where we were. For us to lay hold of that for which we were laid hold of by Christ Jesus, we must forget what lies behind and reach forward. And not worry about all them other runners on the track. 
The Word of God tells us what not to do. That's what people say. Oh, the Bible is just a book of telling you what not to do. And I say, yeah, but it tells you what to do too. You forgot that part. <laughs> Tell me about what it says. Don't do this, don't do that. What about what it says? Do, do this, and do this, and do that. Press on. Pursue what lies ahead, the goal, the finish line, at the end of the track. Christ Jesus, righteousness. It's a mark which to fix the eye on. It was used as your aim or an object, a shooting target, but here a moral or spiritual target. The prize given, bearing down upon the direction of the goal. The mark is Christ's likeness, the upward call. A calling which is from heaven and to heaven. A calling to which the apostle must always give heed, he says. Well, let me finish with this. Worship team, come on up. We're going to sing a song at the end. Or Joseph, or whomever's with you, brother. Now, in order for us to strengthen the grip on our time, we're going to have to practice something. We're going to have to practice planned neglect. Everybody say that. Planned neglect. (laughs) In her book, A Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins tells about a noted concert violinist who was asked the secret of her mastery of the instrument. The woman answered the question with two words and a keyboard. (laughs) That was perfect timing. Planned neglect, she said. She then explained, there were many things that used to demand my time. When I went into my room after breakfast, I made my bed, straightened the room, dusted, and did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret of my success. I'd say you call that priorities. And you know what? Priorities have to be planned. Because if not, the days, the months, the years go by, and you think, I never really did do that, did I? You know, I, I, I really intended to read through the Bible this year, and it's November. I don't think I can do it now. What happened? I wasn't a priority, really. I get it. I get it. I'm guilty. We're busy. Got so much going on. But what's my priority? I mean, in 100 years from now, what am I doing that's going to make any difference? When I breathe my last breath, as I shared yesterday at this funeral, the only thing that matters, (laughs) faith and what you have faith in, family and friends, people that you poured your life into, I mean, really, isn't that all that matters? I shared this yesterday. You know, when Coast Arcanian was dying, no one mentioned wins losses. No one cared about where he stacked up with other great coaches of the game. You know what I never heard? 
I never heard anyone say, oh, if only we could have that 1991 game back against Duke. Boy, if only. Yeah. Somehow or another, that didn't mean a thing. I mean, it's great. It doesn't mean anything. Not in the end. Where's your time go? How will you plan to neglect some things? I can't tell you what that would be for you. I know what it is for me. I can't tell what. You know, for some of you, it might be, you know what, man? I need to get off of that video game an extra two or three hours a day. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to be your Holy Spirit. You know what? For some of you, it might be, no, you know, on, on, on this particular night, we're not turning on the TV. That would be something I would be open to after the NBA playoffs, but until then, we had, uh, uh, maybe Monday night. I don't, I don't know what would be good night. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I have to pray about that. <laughs> well, let's see. Do you really need to know everything about everything that's going on in the whole world? on that news channel of the internet. The internet could be a tremendous blessing. It can also be a tremendous curse. There's so much information. We have information overload. I mean, do we really need to read all those books about nothing? Really? I'm not trying to tell I'm not hoping that I hit the thing for you. I'm not trying to do that, please. That would be manipulation. I'm not doing that. I'm just thinking out loud. That's all I'm doing. That's all I'm doing. I'm not trying to nail anybody. Don't elbow them. There it is. It's the Lord speaking to you. You know, let God tell you that, not your spouse. Although it's never a bad thing to listen because God could be speaking to him or her. I don't know. But I just think that we planned this series months ago. And I just think that this funeral yesterday just kind of really made it real to me as I listened person after person talk about this man and how students would call him before they'd call their parents in the midnight hour and say, I, I need help. And he would say, no matter what time it was, call your mom, call your dad, and I'll meet you there. And he would always go. That's prioritizing others, isn't it? Lots to think about. Lots to think about. I'm going to have the ushers come forward. We'll give our tithes and our offerings. And, and, and there's a song we're going to sing called I Give Myself Away. <clears throat> the, chorus, the chorus is pretty easy. Just give it a little time and you'll get it. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, um, we give to you our tithes, our offerings, our alms. Lord, I know that there is no value in the amount we give, per se. Well, it's valuable, and we need it. But Lord, I know that you're, you place a greater value on the heart behind the giving. So God, may we give with cheerful hearts. May we give not out of compulsion, but may we give knowing that as we give, we give to you. Lord, that you would give wisdom, guidance, direction to every decision made and every penny spent. Thank you.
thank you for the opportunity that we have to give in this unique way because our life is to be a life of giving in many different ways. Holy Spirit, help us to, to hear you regarding our time, talent, and our treasure. We want to hear from you. And we want to correct those areas we are out of balance. If we keep looking behind, Lord, we won't be able to run full steam ahead. If we get our eyes off of the goal, and it's so easy to do in our culture, we may be like that Olympic shooter who scored a perfect shot in her final shot, but it was the wrong target. And she lost. And so God, give this to you. Take it, multiply it. Further into your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and pass the bags.